Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives. As analysts, consultants, or practitioners, we've learned the hard way what works, and maybe more importantly, what doesn't. Our podcast is different. We use a conversational format to help share the experiences that only people have been there, done that, can provide as we have been pushing the envelope on the profession for over a decade. And today, in this show, we will discuss what does the seller's experience really look like? Is your system set up to help sellers be successful? And what does an integrated enabling program look like? As usual, we start with a centering story to give our episode a theme. So Scott, take it away from here. Thank you, Brian, and hello, everybody. One of the things that we get the opportunity to do, and as more and more of you users, uh, we're calling you Insider Nation, uh, keep listening, we get more and more feedback. And I had, a, had the opportunity to have a conversation with one of our, with one of our listeners. I'm going to try not to out too much about her because I'm sure this is, this is embarrassing. And we were talking, and one of the things that she was saying is that sometimes some of the things that I say you know, make her feel stupid. And, you know, are you an academic person? And Brian, you know, full well, boy, do I hate being called academic, but maybe sometimes the way that I think about things and talk about them sound that way. Yeah, you deserve it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate uh, solidarity there, Brian. <laughs> Just kidding. So you know, one of the things that's, um, it's an interesting thing, right? Yeah, it, one of the things is, uh, um, this topic is such a hard thing. It's, it's both simple and easy. As, as we like to talk about sales, it's both sales is simple, but simple ain't easy. And one of the things that I'd like to share this time is to talk about what makes me so passionate about sales enablement. And actually one of the things that I'd like to share is a story from when I was in the field. So we're gonna go back in the way, way, way back machine the company at the time I was working at, at Metagroup, and in our third episode, we actually talked about how I built a sales enablement um, function there. But this is before even that. And that's I right, actually, because you, you actually came out of the field. You were a seller before that. That's right. Frustrated in that episode. So this is actually, is that going to be the story when you it's were a, a seller? Yeah, right. Exactly. It's a prequel. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So the, the, this story isn't, uh, isn't really that great. Uh, it doesn't put me in the, in, in the greatest light. But um, as a seller, we'd just gone through sales training. And specifically, it was solution selling training. And if you've seen the movie Jerry Maguire, where Jerry wrote the, that letter, that memo out to everybody, and was just really, really excited, I was really, really excited. At the time, 
we were selling these subscription services. Um, so Meta Group has been acquired by Gartner Group. So if you can imagine uh, buying reports. And we would sit there and be trained to talk about what the deliverables are. Here's our service. Here's our SSNS service. Here's our GNS service. Here are the five things that you do. Here are the deliverables about it. You get these deliverables and you get this teleconference and you get these conference tickets and blah, 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 blah. So if that's what we were talking about, who do you think that I was selling to? I was selling people uh, like a, a guy named Mark Fleischman, who actually was at, at Belcor, and his job was more or less a librarian. He would meet me in the cafeteria. <laughs> he, wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't even bring me in. I wouldn't even get the, the, the code to get in, right? Yeah, that's, that's how low level. And we would debate about how many license fees and what the, what the, the, the usage was. And we would haggle between $15,000 or $16,000 about what the renewal was for that particular service. That was a rough, and it sure as heck wasn't what I thought was, was selling. I walk out of this solution selling training and I'm excited. I'm gonna go and learn to go talk to executives. That's, that's what I was gonna do. So my, my primary focus was, I'm gonna go talk to executives. So think about it so going drank, from- You're all in, huh? You, you drank the Kool-Aid, you're excited? I really drank the Kool-Aid. I, uh, I was a process uh, zealot uh, at the time. I thought the solution selling thing was fantastic. I drank the Kool-Aid, I went all in. That's good. Yes, it is good. So the first thing that I did uh, at the time, my territory was the state of New Jersey. And the very first opportunity that I got, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go call on the CIO at Merck. And literally, this is no joke, the, the, the CIO at Merck's name was Dr. Popper. <laughs> so you're going to go from the librarian eating a salad with a librarian to calling Dr. Popper the CIO at Merck. Well, yeah, salad. of course, right? That's what they wanted us to do in the training, right? That's a transformative experience right there. Well, awesome. we'll, we'll talk about that. So I called up and uh, I left a voicemail message. I can't remember exactly what it was. I went to lunch. I'm feeling pretty good. I come back. I see that I have a couple voicemails on my machine and I'm excited because Dr. Popper is obviously gonna invite me back in so I can give him my pitch and uh, all the solution selling stuff is great. Well, actually on my voicemail, there were three voicemails. All of them were from Merck. None of them were from Dr. Popper. And they were progressively more agitated, threatening almost, and, and this is no lie, saying that uh, I'm just a vendor I'm not to talk to doc, call on Dr. Pa Dr. Popper. I was going to say Dr. Pepper. Doctor, and if you ever do this again, we're going to make sure that you don't sell anything to Merck ever again. Dang. So that so not was, only did you get one call, you got three calls back. They're just a little threatening. <laughs> that's, that's right. So I'd love to be able to tell you what awesome heroic thing that I did to be able to recover from that situation but that wouldn't be the truth. The truth is I said, screw it. I'm packed up my things. I went home. Uh, I shut the shades of my, of my apartment at the time. Hang on, this, on, this is getting weird. This <laughs> I put on Free Willy and I just watched Free Willy because I wanted to feel happy because I felt so small. Uh, I didn't call on a, on a CIO again for a while. I went back to the uh, Ari Fleischman's again, uh, Michael Fleischman's again, 
until finally I got my courage up again. So my next time was, um, I said, all right, dust that off, you know, shake it off, Scott, shake it off, Scott. You still believe in that solution selling stuff. So the next bat, the next time I went after, this was before uh, Campbell Soups moved their headquarters and their headquarters was in, uh, was in New Jersey. So I called on the CIO of, of, uh, of Campbell Soups and honestly, I can't even remember his name. And Brian, have you, did you see the movie Wall Street? Uh, yeah, a long time ago, though. Yeah, I know. It was so dated. It's in the way, way back machine. All, all my references are so dated. Uh, <laughs> I'm clearly not a millennial. But um, uh, in, in Wall Street, there's this scene where Bud Fox, the main character, uh, Charlie Sheen, uh, gets his meeting with Gordon Gecko. And how did he get his meeting with Gordon Gecko? Do you remember? No, I don't. Tell us. He, he called Gordon Gecko every day for um, like 80 days in a row and showed up at his, uh, showed up the day of Gordon Gecko's birthday with a box of cigars. Oh, that's right. And Gordon Gecko finally let him in. Well, you know, I'd seen that movie and I swear to God, I literally called this guy for 60 days straight till finally I got him on the phone. And every single time I left a voicemail, so I, you know, he kind of knew me, I would uh, highlight research where I thought our research was better than Gartner's because I knew he was a big Gartner shop. And I just call, kept calling, kept calling. And lo and behold, one of those days, he actually answered the phone. What did I do? What happened? Uh, you froze up? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I would love to tell you an awesome story about I had this great rap and I, you know, got a meeting with him. Nope. I kind of went, uh, he said, <laughs> and he was nice about it. Scott, you've been pretty persistent. Can you please tell me how you're different than Gardner? Uh, <laughs> and then I fumbled through some words, you know, it, it was sort of like a word salad of a bunch of things that I had heard around <laughs> that we've been talking about. And, uh, he said, uh, well, I gave you my ear time. Will you please stop calling me now? And I went, yep. So opportunity number two. Mm. What did I do? I went back down to uh, selling, to the, selling to the cubicle people. All right. No free, no free willy. No free willy too. Okay. So fast forward. Now, uh, now you know, maybe um, two, two months later, I had worked on an opportunity and I built a I, – I was able to get access to this guy named Keith Kebble. Keith Kebble at the time was the VP of shared services at Bristol Myers Squibb. I knew that he had, he had responsibility for a budget that was $50 million. So good access, right? Access to adult money. And at the time they were, uh, they were implementing SAP and they had uh, uh, the, Coopers, uh, the Coopers team in there. And we were talking about how, now I'm getting more into a rap about what our products do and our products are, you should be thinking about our products like an insurance policy because who knows what the risk of a bad decision could be. And I had told him about like what would happen if uh, Hershey, uh, if it, you know, you've heard about the Hershey incident where they had an SAP challenge and they weren't able to ship candy, what would happen to you if you did that? So all you have to do is buy our, our, you know, our particular service or X number of dollars is like a decision-making insurance policy. So that all sounded great. He invited us in and uh, really what, what the goal was, I, I didn't really know what the goal was and I didn't ask. I said, ah, oh, you know, awesome. Like I was excited. Sure. So I brought my, uh, brought my subject matter expert 
uh, Barry Wilderman in with me. And uh, the two of us show up and there were 20 of them uh, <laughs> because this was such a big deal. And they started using a lot of language that I had no idea what these people were talking about, honestly. There was like words like uh, release and um, instance and things like that that I had no idea what they were. And I just wrote the keywords down. When we were leaving in the parking lot to get back in the car, I said, well, what happened in that meeting, Barry? How did it go? He said, it, it went great. And he listed off three or four problems that they, they were going to have. So I was like, super great. So I called Keith back the next day. Hey, Keith, blah, blah, blah. Had a great relationship. How did it go? He's like, it was great. You know, that was a great meeting. Thank you very much. And I said, so you're ready to do business with us. I'm getting ready to close on my solution sale, Brian. How did that go? He said, well, Scott, I, I, you kind of confirmed that we're on the right track. And ah. I said, well, Barry says you're going to have you've got problems. He said, oh, well, what are they? Barry says you got problems. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I said, uh, I, 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 I don't know. You want to get him back on the phone? And at that point in time, I lost all my credibility. Yeah. I was never think. able to get uh, Keith Kebble on the phone ever again. So here I'm at, here I'm at uh, six months into my uh, solution selling experience. How do you think I was performing? What, what were my overall numbers like? Uh, zero. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was on a pip. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, all oh, this hang, on, hang on a second. So you had these at-bats, you're trying, you're doing what the company says, and your manager puts you on a pip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I was on a we'll pip. Talk about that later. But, yeah. I was on a pip, and we okay. can talk about what our plan was. I, I was on a pip. So now I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm worried about losing my job. I certainly wasn't, you know, killing it <laughs> as a rep. I was about at Target, about at plan, maybe 80% when I was selling to the – selling products to the, the Fleischmann's, but my, my, my cubicle pipeline was all gone because as you know, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort to try to build relationships with, uh, with executives. But thank goodness, uh, and, and I, I, I sort of had this come to Jesus moment with myself saying, um, what the heck, just, just be you. So thank goodness I've been building a relationship with, um, uh, with one of the CIOs. So the way J&J is organized was, uh, is around these sectors. And I'd built a relationship with one of the, with one of the CIOs in one of the sectors. And I'd been talking with him about the idea of an insurance policy, but not a, about one product, but across all of our, uh, all of our products. I talked a lot about, uh, decision-making. I said, why don't we facilitate a meeting of your direct reports? Um, uh, and one thing led to another and suddenly uh, things started clicking in and with a, with a company so large and so, so, many different, uh, so many different IT leaders. I, at the end of the year, I had done $3 million of business with, uh, with Johnson & Johnson. So I'd done uh, basically 3X what, what, what my quota was and that's uh, one of the reasons that I became one of the top reps aside from writing all the business of the story that we talked about in the, in the second part. So solution selling did work. Well, see, I don't know whether it did or didn't because I didn't really follow the solution selling script. I used some of the elements of it. Yeah. Basically what I did was just get back to, you know, 
what problems do you have, Mr. CIO? Well, we're worried about making the wrong decisions. There's a lot of choices with technology. Well, we have a lot of experts. Would you like to have experts on hand? That sounds great. How does that work? Well, let's simulate how that works. Let's, um, let's put it to use. And you know, because I kept working on helping them use it, they actually gave me a desk there. I actually had a badge that I would go in in my desk and when you're there and you hear all the challenges, it's kind of easy, <laughs> right, to sell. But it, it took building that relationship, it took forgetting a lot of the stuff that I, that I learned in solution selling and focused more on the people. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's my story. Cool, so it started out with Dr. Popper, then Free Willy, then Charlie Sheen and Cigars, then Bristol Myers Squibb with the uh, insurance policy pitch. And then six months in, you're in a, on a pip. On a pip. Yep. On a pip. About ready to get fired. Then you had your soul-searching moment. You're like, screw it. I'm just going to be myself. If I'm going to get fired, I might as well go down just being true to myself. <laughs> uh, I can relate. And then, uh, you know, J&J conference meetings. And then that's, that's how we ended up at that other podcast can't remember the exact number but number three number three yeah yeah so there i mean and the cool thing about that is um it sounds like one you figured out how to get access to executives right well the hard way yeah i mean let, let's 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 be honest would we want other people to learn that way no well i mean and kudos to you uh, a lot of people uh, probably wouldn't have been as committed. I mean, that's what's cool about that story is you were all in. You know, you came out of that experience. You hit the, well, you know, the I believe button. You oh, know. you have no idea how many of my friends told me to not. They, they, they would say that stuff is BS. You know, look at, look at that and look at our pipelines. You know, at least, it, it, you know, we're not killing it either. But, you know, at least yeah. we're the money, right? Like, dude, yeah. and my friends were, they thought they were watching out for me. So I had that. I had the internal talk track of not doing well. I had the, my managers up my butt. And of course, when you're on a PIP, it's not just your manager, right? You have right. to review with the VP of sales too. Because that's when, that's when the help starts. The quote unquote help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, uh, remember, remember in episode 10, I'm looking at the list here. We talked about the five sales objectives. Let's use that. Uh, for our listeners here to structure this out a little bit. Um, you know, in the first objective, you have to have, you know, um, a perspective. You have to bring a perspective to uh, the buyer, right? Um, and you've got different perspectives here that you... That well, you the, first, the first objective is who are we selling to? So yeah. I made a commitment from selling from cubicle workers to... Um, executives, executive offices. <laughs> and, and that shifted the problem from an, a librarian view to an executive lens. And you tried the insurance policy perspective. You tried the, Hey, wouldn't it be nice to have decisions, uh, making, uh, influence and uh, experts at your beck and call. Right. So you've, you tried different types of, uh, perspectives to those, those people, those executives, because they had different needs. Yeah, if you think about it, like, um, you know, just sort of reacting to what you're saying, Brian, I would say that uh, my go-in 
perspective was for Dr. Popper, boy, do I have a deal for you. <laughs> you you <laughs> want research services. I'm ready to do discount, Here's discount, discount. Here's my number. Just call me back. I'll uh, be by my answering machine. Yeah. And then um, then the next brilliant strategy is going after the, the CIO at Campbell Soups. I think my offer was, I got better research than the company that you're all in on. Right. All you need, just give me that one thing and one report is going to, that's going to convince you. Right. Then the third one was, I'm going to sell you one service, 20, basically $25,000 to protect you on one project. And you're, you run 50, you know, you have a $500 million project or a budget. You might have more than one project, but I mean, it's very narrow, something very discreet. And if that doesn't pan out or if I'm not able to go backwards and forwards inside and outside, that's not going anywhere either. Right. Yeah. And until ultimately uh, we're going to provide decision-making fuel, uh, we're going to help, help all of your executive leaders provide decisions. And I don't need to zoom in the details on any of it. Right. So that's, that's, uh, that's good. I mean, you, you figured out who they were, you tried different perspectives and angles to eventually do the second objective, which was to get access to those folks. Right. You tried the gut it out, I'm going to pound you on the phone all the way to, uh, hey, tell me your problems. Tell me your challenges. And let's talk about that. Right. So that's cool. You figured that out. Yep. And then you had to have, you know, third objective, you know, have, have a relevant meeting. So, you know, each one of those was different, too, it sounds like. The first one, you know, uh, with Dr. Popper wasn't a meeting at all. It was three, you know, Phone calls from legal or whatever. I got, I got, it's, yeah, they were procurement officials. So basically the first one I got thrown out at first base. Right. right at, at executive level access. Right. There you go. The second one, second I, one. the second one, I eventually got executive level access by bludgeoning the poor guy's voicemail. Right. I got thrown out at second base. Which um, was, you know, tell me. I didn't have a successful yeah. meeting. Tell yeah. me how you're different than Gardner. Right. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, yeah, yeah. The next one was um, the Bristol Myers Squibb one. I got thrown out at third because I wasn't able to connect a shared vision of success. So, okay, you know, you've confirmed for us. We know what we're doing here. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what to talk about, man. It's basically where Keith's coming from. Yeah. And I'm like, but but you should buy us because. You had a good meeting. And, and uh, my subject matter expert said you got problems, but he's yeah. not here right now. <laughs> right. And I have no idea what he said because I had no clue what the heck you guys were talking about that whole meeting. I'm not an SAP expert. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, uh, then the next one is, you know, uh, the next. Score the run. Yeah, you score the run, which means you made that value tangible and they, they closed the deal. But look at what it, look at what it took with J&J. It, it took a... Uh, it almost it was almost lost because you didn't get the logo. Remember from episode three where you, you tried to have that meeting and you needed the logo and the oh that wasn't lost. I, I was already secured by then. I'd never oh, okay. we did in episode three. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you so you got that. So you you, pers you pursued and you did a figure it out approach until you scored the scored the run. You know you got the got the deal. 
And that's, that's cool because um, one, you figured it out Two, you were, you hit the, I believe button on solution selling. And, you know, for our listeners, the reason why I wanted to go through that was, you know, how many salespeople would you guys like to have that go through a training and just go all in and hit the, I believe button and, you know, stiff arm their peers and, you know, believe it's the right thing to do because the company tells you. And that's one, two, you know, it, yeah. Okay, fine. It might be 20 years or, you know, 15 years or whatever in between, but you know, I got to tell you, this experience happens today. I mean, if you're driving right now, you're probably shaking your head. This is the exact same challenge, and, that, and, and the challenge actually comes down to that, that magical moment where the person answers the phone and, and says, okay, go. You know, what are you going to say? Yeah, I, say, I share this, this story when I'm invited to do sales kickoffs before I talk about anything that might sound, uh, you know, abstract or uh, theoretical. And um, the, the receptivity is palpable. And I think it's because so, solution selling or what I did may as well be challenger selling or selling with curiosity or Sandler selling or Miller-Hyman selling or value vision selling, whatever the new sales methodology that you're rolling out because you want your reps to sell. You don't want them to sell to minions anymore. You want them to sell to the executives or uh, if you're selling from IT to business people, that shift as it, in the conference room when you're making your plan sounds like it's little, well, duh. But the reality of that shift, it's so hard. Yeah, it's super so hard. hard. I mean, look, you got put on a pip. And I, I mean, I like to talk to your manager. You know, I have a, a bias on the management side. So I'm like, where the hell's your manager in all this? But that's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> but the, the last point I want to have is this idea of for you to be successful, you know, look, look at what that, look at what that ingredient was. It was actually less about your solutions and more about the, the value or the help that your company could provide in the customer's context around decision-making. In, in other words, it became about them and their success. And that's how you got a desk there. Right? Yes. And I think that's, that's the, the key of today. And, you know, one of the things that I still do today and, uh, and uh, as a way to drive this point home, because I've had discussions with execs and I've had discussions with reps and they say, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, um, fine, this is a real thing. But no, this is palpable, emotional, like I'm at one here, I'm like free willy, man. I'm, I don't know whether to, to, to laugh or cry because I've been there too, but like, you know, I, I've, for 15 years, I've been on this quest myself to find this, the salesperson who can talk, you know, two minutes about their, their customer. And the only caveat that I have on this is you can't talk about your product, yourself, or your company for two minutes. You have to talk about your customer and the challenges that they have for two minutes. And, I, and everybody says they can do it. And I would challenge our listeners, go, go do it yourself. And, and see if you can talk about your company's customers for two minutes without talking about your solution, your, your own products, your solutions, your, yourself or your company. And sellers have that same gap. And I think that's, that's what I'm seeing here. I'm having this visceral reaction, Scott, was you, you, know, you, you had to fight the system, so to speak, even though you hit the I believe button, you had to come up with your own message that was all about your customer and then come up with a creative solution around helping your customers be successful almost in spite of your company. 
Well, I think that's that's the key point. Um, actually, you made several key points, so let me summarize some of them. So, one point is my observation today is in general we're pushing our sales sales reps out. There's a lot of focus uh, on improving our sellers. Let's train up our sellers. Let's get our sales people to do this. They don't do that. Uh, let's throw more stuff at them. But really what, what we're not doing is we're not understanding what actually they have to go through. So right. yes, it's true. It would be great if I had more role playing with my sales manager, but that still wouldn't cut it because all of the material that we had, Brian, everything that we had was based on our products. Right. I had to make a conscious effort to, I basically rewrote all my own collateral. Yeah. All so the, pip, the pip worked out of desperation. <laughs> well, I don't know if it, I mean, I don't, think, I think, I don't think people, I don't think the pip what we want uh, to turn sellers into content creators. But yeah. really what, what got, what got, got home was you, you mentioned um, talking about value. I could, I, yeah, we don't want this to go on longer than, than give two minutes about our, our customers, but really or the, you know, the, the CIO at, at, at J and J that I was working with. Yeah. But really the, the, the crux of the matter here is I got it down to something very simple that may sound abstract to you guys, to you. And that simple thing was I'm in the business of providing content to fuel your decisions. And as simple as that, so that you can say, wow, that's weird. But the, 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 when is the last time you thought about decision-making? Right. There are a lot of tools out there for decision-making. And if you don't actually really think about decision-making, how are you going to be able to leverage experts? Right. And by going deep into that and um, all of those different parts, that's really what it became. So what, what I'd like to do is sort of shift into what was the prescription. So after I got tapped on the shoulder, what did we actually end up building? And what I'm going to ask each of you guys to do is to, to think about if, if you can't empathize with these particular situations, these, these five stages from um, how hard the call is. It's easy to say in a conference room, yes, I'm going to go sell to executives. That's the easy thing to do. The hard thing to do is to stay committed to doing it, especially when you run into challenges along the way. And if you make it sound so too easy and you don't uh, help them simulate the hardness, you're going to create a, a, a situation where they think there's something wrong with them and they're going to stop doing it like a lot of my peers did. And I almost did. Right. So what I would suggest is this is what we ended up building. So, so the, the, the story, if you go back and, Visit, uh, listen to our third episode. It's, it's more of a story about Scott getting tapped on the shoulder and maybe that'll help explain why I was a little more fiery when um, people were uh, getting in my way and giving me sales prevention because those people weren't about fired and I was about fired. Um, so maybe that's, that, that'll explain. But if you go back and listen to that episode, I was asked by the executive committee to come and fix some of this stuff that I, that I was articulating. So really there's five things that we did. So here are five things that you can go do in your, your company. So the first one is define what's the core value to whom you're targeting. So all of the material that we had at Metagroup 
was targeted at the Mark Fleischmans of the world. We didn't have any clear value, core value targeted at the executives. Yeah. So in this case, if, if you're following along very specifically, that's decision-making fuel. That's what the core value was. Everything else was irrelevant. Decision-making fuel. Point number two. The next thing that we did was say, given that that's the issue, how do I add value? So going from the lesson learned from the Keith Kebbell one, I actually got half of the way there, but then I couldn't answer that question. So there's no possible way that we can train all of our salespeople to be experts on the 17 different services that we had. No way. What can we do to make them more valuable? We can train them on being decision-making experts. So we checked out of the solution selling business, the sales methodology business, and we started focusing on how do we teach our reps to be decision-making experts? So that was point number two. Point number three, uh, you need to create a, uh, a way for, that, for customers to tangibly feel that value, tangibly manifest that value. That's not a demo, guys, right? What it is is, is, is a, a way for them to experience it. For us at, at Metagroup, we ended up creating decision-making engines, you know, a framework. We would give the framework away to our clients and they would go, wow, that's great. How do you, how do you keep making sure that you're making the right decisions? You need to buy our service to be able to do it. You need the content fuel. And if they don't have a decision-making engine or a way in their head to do it, they couldn't do it. So we concentrated on building these decision-making engines. I'd call that maybe a value framework or something like that. I don't necessarily have the right words for that. But for us at, at Metagroup, it was a decision-making engine, but a, a framework of value that customers could see themselves in. Yeah, and I actually prefer you not to label it because um, that's one of the things in sales enablement to me is when we throw out something, somebody says, oh, that's buyer persona. You're talking about buyer journey right now, aren't you, Scott? Right. And, and I, think like, some, I think some people would label what I'm talking about as a commercial insight. Right. I don't think this is a commercial insight. Yeah. So let's not do that, everybody. Let's just, let's not label it right now. Let's, let's focus on the, these five things because one, they, they worked and two, they were field tested um, and, and, and scaled. Right. So first was define the value to, to the person you're targeting or to the buyer you're targeting. Then, and two, help, understand how you add value as a company, right? Not as, and as, as a seller is both. And then three is help the, the customer, the buyers or the buyer network, you know, feel that value, experience that value through a decision-making tool or just, you know, a, a portion of this service. Right? Well, would, let's not call it a tool because I think part number four, because there's two more parts to this. Part number four is we need to create client facing guides. So in other words, instead of asking our sellers to know all of the different things, like we talk about SAP, but there's help desk, there's network, campus setup, network strategy, all of those other things, we created guides for all of the key topics. So I think we ultimately had like 70 of these guides that salespeople would just pick and plug and play based on who they were talking to and put in front of the client. They followed the same structure all of them followed the same uniform structure, the decision-making engine. That's what they trained on. So it was a decision-making process. 
And any salesperson could walk through that material in a value-added way without knowing any of the subject matter expertise because they had the structured tool. So what we did is we worked with the subject matter experts to get these, these points, and it was client-facing. We called those buying blueprints, uh, but really uh, I would call them today maybe success recipes or something like that. And we had two, two editions. We had the client-facing edition, and then we had uh, a playbook for our sellers of what the key talking points were and uh, what, what capabilities match to that based on uh, the scenarios our customers would run into. So that was, that was number four. And then number five is instead of doing demand generation activities, what we did is we launched a integrated marketing program uh, where we launched how-to teleconferences. And basically the how-to teleconferences was we pick a big strategic theme, like uh, how, do you do, how, do you, how do you create an IT operations group to be more successful? Or how do you uh, do CRM the right way? How do you do commerce chain management the right way? And what, what we did is I hosted all of those and I asked the executives not what the solutions were, but basically what are the challenges that, that people have? And then what do they need to do to, to uh, what do they need to be thinking about? You know, AKA what decisions do they need to be making? Um, in, in order to be successful. And we didn't talk anything about our products. So we put all of those things together in an integrated way. As you can imagine, we worked with, we had to work all the way up with the CEO had to get bought in. Uh, we worked and retrained all the salespeople. Uh, we built these, uh, these structures that our research or our product people had to buy into. Uh, we asked uh, both marketers and, and solutions experts to build these, these guides and they had to be very structured because they had the, 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 our, our reps had to do it. And then we worked with marketing in terms of setting up the, the demand generation program. All of that created that right environment. And what we did is after we rolled it out, uh, our deal size increased 56%, our win rate decreased 25%, and our sales cycle time or from... Uh, first contact to close collapsed 35%. So we just had massive, massive, massive success, all really predicated on that story that I shared and uh, being able to relate to the human issues and the, you know, navigating all the complexity and simplifying everything. Yeah. So the, I love the human element on that. And also, um, you know, one, you know, I'm biased, but to me, that's, that's what you just described is indeed sales enablement. And, you know, we can, we can debate that with our listeners um, on, on what that is or not. But, you know, hopefully our, the folks that, that are listening to this agree. But the second piece of that is, um, but let, let me play devil's advocate, because um, if I'm driving down the road right now, I'm going to have to re-listen to this podcast to get these five. One, two, when I when you rattle these off, it's a crap ton of work, you know? So, gee, Scott and Brian, you guys just created a whole bunch of work for me to go do this. And, you know, two, and then three, how, how the hell am I going to do all this? Right. I don't have the resources. I don't have the people, even if I believe this is the right thing to do, I'm not sure how to go do it. So thanks. You just screwed up my, my commute and my, the rest of my day. Now, what would you say to that? Well, I'd say if you want to know how call us, you know, that's, that, that's, a, that's a different issue. I think the bigger question would be, do, are, are the things that are being done today 
Like how, how committed are you as a company to sell to executives? That's the first question I'd ask. If it's strategically important as it is in many, many companies, um, what choice do you have? Honestly. Well, the same old, the same old, same old choice. But the same old, same old isn't working. Yeah, but at least I can check off the box that I was able to do stuff today. <laughs> you know, again, I'm playing devil's advocate, but I, and I, but, but, but I hear you, but, but like I said, okay, so you check the box off. So what? If, if the company is investing lots of money to move the needle and the needle doesn't move, what's going to happen? Yeah, eventually they'll say, why do we have an enablement function? Right. Let's just put, let's just put it back to the way it was. Let's hire more reps instead. Yeah. Um, and we'll make more calls because it's clearly a numbers game. And, you know, the reason I think the reason that sales enablement is such an exciting uh, potential has such exciting potential is because we can get into the business of less. Less is more and simplifying is more and higher quality is more. But if we're building generic personas and we're targeting random stakeholders and we're not dealing with, uh, you know, the nuances that sellers run into on a day-to-day basis. And if we don't have a structure with which to, to, to organize it, we're not going to make a lot of progress. And my, my story about the sales enablement side on this, Brian, is very much, I wouldn't say it's all sales enablement. There's things that I didn't do that I would like to do, like sales coaching and, um, you know, fixing some of the hiring, uh, hiring challenges and making the CRM process much easier. There's so much more I could have done. I would say this is a, very much a flavor on the content side. How do you get the content side? How do you bring alignment there? What, what's, what does actually real tangible sales content look like? And if you don't get the buy-in at the top, all you're going to be doing is just generating more stuff. We need playbooks. We need this. We need, we need persona guides. And it just explodes of tons and tons and tons of information. And your reps are going to end up creating their own material anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the stakeholder stakeholder management episode was so good. Um, the one right before this one, 12, I believe, but the, you know, what strikes me on this and then we have to wrap up, but I'd love your reaction to this. And, and we, you and I had this conversation, you know, 10 years ago and, you know, I've learned a lot since then, but we were talking and I was like, you know, this is just, it's just a, a mountain of stuff. And it's so, it seems so huge. And you said, you know what, Brian, if, if we don't do it, if, if we don't tackle the complexity, then who's going to do it? And remember you wrote that one report that if this, if this, if the complexity is not tackled and simplified on behalf of reps, they have two choices. They show up and throw up or they push all the complexity um, to their, their customer in that regard. So the customer ends up having to sort through it to figure it out or, or they do this superhuman heroic effort that you did um, where they, they get put on a pip and almost fired and have to go create their own stuff to bridge that gap. And neither yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so, so we should probably uh, go through that report. And what, you know, what Brian's referring to is a report I wrote called Engineering Valuable Sales Conversations. And uh, um, we, should, we should probably revisit that. I know we had a, a, a few listeners that uh, have brought that up before and said we should update it. But yeah, what, 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 what Brian's talking about is uh, the, what, what we're dealing with is a complexity problem, and no one likes to talk about complexity. And whether you like it or not, you have a complexity coping strategy. 
Coping strategy number one is no one else who's supporting sales confronts it. So we push it on the backs of reps. Most of those reps aren't going to confront it. So they're going to push it back on the backs of customers. And those customers are going to have the procurement people yell at you and tell you we don't want to hear from you. Right. He's making uh, my life harder. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's basically what I was doing is pushing the complexity on to Dr. Popper at Merck and the CIO at Campbell Soups. Well, now the next part then is, well, that's clearly not working. So Scott's decided that he's going to go into the business of creating his own content. And he started out doing that first. So it's the heroic effort. I, uh, by the way, I also shut down, uh, I turned off and I purposely would uh, enter my data in incorrectly. Uh, so that corporate couldn't send out like, uh, you know, have different email addresses. So corporate couldn't communicate to my prime target <laughs> targets because uh, yeah. the, the information that. that they were sending was just so confusing. Yeah. Uh, so I know in that, that free willy moment, you had a choice to make. Either I'm yeah. going to do this in spite of my, of my company and, and do this on my own, or I'm going to quit before I get canned. Right. I, there's a lot of reps out there, and myself included, I actually quit um, before <laughs> you, you got it out. Kudos to you. But I, I hit the eject handle uh, in my situation. But I think there's a lot of people out there, uh, a lot of reps in particular, that have that exact same free willing moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then the other, the other coping strategy is the heroic effort, which is basically what we're asking people to do when we do challenger sale or whatever, because the burden we're asking them to figure out who, what the executive priorities are. We're asking them to figure out what the buying impacts are. We're asking them to figure out three, two, one buyer. Ma- we're asking them to figure out, make sure you follow the buying process. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. Make sure you do this. And the amount of inspection, but none of that stuff is accurate because there's no such thing as a buying school. There's no executives who's ever been through, this is how I buy stuff. It just, just doesn't exist. Or solve problems. Right. So we've yeah. put, we're basically putting the, the heroic effort on the backs of reps. And that's a very costly and risky proposition because only about 20% of the reps can do it. And really where, where, where Brian and I think about this is that the opportunity for sales enablement is to manage the complexity for the sellers and come up with these integrated programs like we just talked about here. That's right. And that's, uh, that's going to be how we end this is, uh, you know, you all have, a make, have to make a decision too, you know, and um, to tackle that complexity or not. And there is a lot of opportunity to elevate your role and your function by tackling it. Give us a call if you're doing that. Uh, we, we certainly need more discussions around that. Scott and I have a lot to learn still. There's a lot of complexity that we have to navigate and we need, and we would like to have more inputs around that from folks that are, tackling these issues. So give us a call, shoot us an email on engage at insidese.com. Also tell us the stories, uh, the good, the bad, uh, and challenge us. You know, this was a bit of a dated story. Is it still relevant or not? Call us out on it. Let us know. We appreciate you listening. We went a little bit over today, but I wanted to, to make sure we landed that. Scott, thanks for the stories. Thanks for your time. We'll see you guys later. Take care. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. 
You can also connect with them online by going to InsideSE.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.